1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective,
0: 2020 on Vision. The first sitting week for 2019 in the Federal Parliament. Every MP is likely to be on a campaign footing. Let's get some insights into the political agenda this week. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles, a special welcome back to 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil. Always great to be with you.
0: Uh, it is significant, uh, Federal Parliament back this week, I think tomorrow they'll all be arriving in Canberra, or they're probably arriving in Canberra gradually now, and uh, you've seen this before, uh, they're all getting underway, and this one's special though, Martin, because it's an election year.
1: That's correct, so everybody is trying to set up the optics as best they can, I think, for uh, what lies ahead, Neil. Um, They want to come out of these two sitting weeks looking as good as possible so that they can run a good campaign between now and the budget, which is in the first week of April, which is the next time they'll meet, and the last time they'll meet before the election in May. So the Coalition's got a lot of clawing back to do, and they want this. They want to get the Banking Royal Commission out of the way, pretty much, and and get the agenda back onto the economy. I think they'll think that that will serve their needs well.
0: We might talk banking in just a few moments because I suspect that what will happen with any legislative change uh, could be uh, a long time in... Uh, getting that through the Parliament, then, of course, the banks implementing those things and changing culture. But the big one that seems to be looming that everyone's talking about, Martin, is this uh, Karen Phelps Mediback Medibac vi- bill. Uh, the government uh, risks losing a vote on the floor of the Parliament this week. It's very significant.
1: Well, yes, it is, and that's the other feature of the Parliament right now, and the reason the government, I think, has pulled its strings to make sure there's only three sitting weeks before the election because they don't have control of the Parliament, so all sorts of weird things could happen. They don't have a majority in either house, so it makes it very hard for them to control the legislative agenda, and Karen Phelps is one person who's put forward a bill that is gaining a lot of support. It's got support of Labor and the Greens and a number of those on the crossbench looking like it could pass. It's already passed the Senate. Uh, And now it's deadlocked in the lower house, 74 in favour, 74 against, with only one vote in it, and that's the vote of uh, Cathy McGowan, the independent from Indi. And however she votes will, at this stage, although there's some rumours that Labor might support some amendments that might get complicated, but at this stage it would mean that she could bring down the government. Um, If that passes the lower house and becomes law, uh, that would be a snap election because um, the government... uh, would lose on a major plank of its policy agenda. Now, I think that um, Scott Morrison wouldn't mind too much if he had to fight a snap election on border control because uh, I think that the conventional wisdom is that the coalition would win uh, on that issue at any rate. Um, But, you know, just to comment on the bill, I I agree with those who say it's a huge problem because uh, it essentially would mean that to the sign-off and the say-so of two doctors could bring any refugee from Manus or Nauru or any asylum seeker to Australia uh, pretty much straight away. Uh, people say, "Well, what's wrong with that?" Well, I was actually in a refugee meet, uh, a refugee event uh, where a very influential uh, Australian uh, in this field, um, who has tremendous power, said, "Look, the truth is we want to get this bill through because we have two doctors lined up to sign off." on the transfer of every single uh, asylum seeker on Manus and Nauru tomorrow Uh, and so it's a political device to undo border protection policies which I disagree with because what people don't know is that um, the people on Nauru and Manus have never been without options they've always been able to resettle either in the United States of America or in Nauru or PNG or go to their home country, or there's usually been a third way as well. Cambodia for a time, we've heard things about Malaysia Solutions. There's usually been a third country in the mix. They've always had options, um, and they're not treated badly. They're actually not even in detention. The whole kids behind razor wire and stuff like that, you see in the media, is very misleading. They're all living in community. Uh, they are often running businesses, especially on Nauru or working and they're getting educated at the schools and occasionally they're approved to go on holidays uh, to places like Fiji uh, and all this kind of thing. I mean, it's, they're living in houses with everybody else and living normal lives in these safe communities. Uh, and there's a lot of support, serv- a lot of support services available, including priority medical care, which is far better than the locals receive. So, um, you know, there's no humanitarian crisis that says we need to get these 1,000 people to Australia tomorrow. Uh, and it is a ruse by those who want to make government look stupid uh, and don't support border control at all. So that's a really significant one, and uh, it remains to be seen where it goes. But I do think Scott Morrison, part of him, wouldn't line an election on that
0: because
1: he, he thinks he would win.
0: Well, the idea of a snap election, that would... For a lot of Australians take them by surprise but uh, that wouldn't be a surprise to you obviously as this uh, is a very uh, significant vote that will probably come this week Uh, that's the possible outcome a possible snap election and as you say the Prime Minister uh, given that he was the architect and uh, I think he uh, holds that uh, quite high and uh, wears that loudly and proudly of the of the stop the boats campaign Uh, as you say he wouldn't mind actually fighting election on that because uh, because he sees that Australians tend to be supportive of let's talk another one of those very controversial things that could be debated this week in the federal parliament and that of course is the schools freedoms bill that's likely to come back because that was put on hold late last year too martin
1: yeah, that's right. So they escaped without that passing at the end of last year by the skin of their teeth, and they only pulled it off by pulling all kinds of procedural shenanigans. Uh, I was up in the Parliament at the time, and it was quite absurd. They certainly weren't getting any work done. They were just pulling tricks to try and stop this vote coming on. Both sides were pushing and pulling tricks. So it's a, it's a waste of Parliament's time, and I think this week will be very similar uh, to just carry on trying to stop these things and not actually get substantial things done, and that's what's going to happen yet again. Uh, Look, I'm not sure how hard they'll push the school freedoms bill. They just did have an inquiry, and we presented that last week and just made the point that if that school freedoms bill was to, well, anti-school freedoms bill was to pass uh, the Senate and then the lower house, you, you would end up with a lot of litigation against Christian schools. And it would be litigation alleging, for example, that teaching the Bible or teaching Christian ethics, especially Christian sexual ethics, uh, or not including certain programs like safe schools. There'll be litigation that alleges that those things are, to use the legal term, detrimental to children who might be gender diverse or same-sex attracted. Now that'll happen, uh, if the bill passes. And there'll be lots of cases to strong arm schools, Christian schools, into compromising their ethos. Um, and in fact, it might be, it probably would be successful. Uh, the other thing we'd see litigation on is that we'd see people raising lawsuits, um, against uh, not schools, but religious institutions that provide education. And again, it's legal terminology. So you go, well, what's the provision of education by a religious institution? Well, is a homily or a sermon in the church? Uh, the provision of education by a religious institution is a Sunday school. Uh, the provision of education by a religious institution or a Christian tertiary college, there are some. Um, you know, we'll see lawsuits against churches and all sorts of other bodies uh, because of their teaching, saying it's detrimental to LGBTI Australians. Uh, and what does detrimental mean? Well, who knows? So it's a Pandora's box. Uh, it's a very, very, very dangerous bill. Our supporters have been calling, particularly senators on the crossbench, so that senators, senators who are not Labor, not Liberal and not Green, who are in the collection of other parties, uh, just ringing their offices pretty constantly for some time now, saying, look, this really matters when this uh, Penny Wong bill on school... Uh, discrimination comes up, please vote against it, you know, and particularly if you've got a child or a family member in a Christian school, that's particularly powerful. So I'd encourage everyone to ring their crossbench senators, make their voices heard, just in case this is pushed really hard, and it well could be, uh, because it would be one of the worst uh, moves against religious freedom in Australia for a long time.
0: Well, one might expect that it will be pushed hard when it comes into debate in the Parliament. And just to mention, too, that when you talk about the likely advent of all of that litigation that you're talking about when mm-hmm. it comes to Christian schools, uh, that you're not just speculating here because uh, you were, in fact, Martin, the founder of the Human Rights Law uh, operation, alliance. Uh, the alliance, yeah. uh, that's right, which uh, has been dealing with as many as 50 cases over the past year or two and so uh, significant things in your prediction uh, if that bill in fact were to pass and uh, Christian schools came under that sort of scrutiny. Uh, let's move on, we we mentioned the Banking Royal Commission and you were saying you were hoping or that you were thinking that the government's probably liking likely to, uh, to hope that that uh, clears through fairly quickly because the Aged Care Royal Commission is also uh, now it's on its way. There's hearings in Adelaide this week. Uh, there's these big royal commissions. They do uh, they do open up all sorts of uh, Pandora's boxes of uh, different areas, whether it's banking or whether it's going to be aged care. What are your thoughts on the Aged Care Royal Commission?
1: Well, uh, look, I think um, uh, the Aged Care Royal Commission. It's a bit sad that it's received so little coverage, actually. Um, this is something that's exceedingly important in our view uh, because it is uncovering uh, genuine uh, tragedy in the aged care system. Stories of neglect, stories of elder abuse, uh, stories really that expose the dark underbelly of what's happening to the elderly uh, population in Australia. And a part of me is not surprised at that because, um, you know... Uh, these are things that tend to concern Christian institutions, and, and, and so we have one eye on them, and, uh, and, and, and and the story's not been good for some time. Um, and so the Royal Commission is exceedingly important from that point of view. I really think that you can measure a society, the the uh, morality of a society, by how it treats uh, its elderly and vulnerable. You know, the widow and the orphan principle, I call it, from James 1, uh, how we treat them. and. It's sad to me that it's received no media, very little media attention. Um, And I think it's one of the things Scott Morrison has done, which is really, really worthwhile. It's excellent. It's good for the government. But the reason, perhaps, I'm trying to think, why would it not have received media attention? Uh, Why is there so little concern about uh, what's going on? Well, firstly, it's probably not upon us yet. But also, I wonder whether people know... That this is probably the strongest argument against euthanasia that we could get in the political world. One of the biggest concerns about euthanasia laws is that there is pressure on the elderly essentially to use them or the elderly feel, you know, in Oregon, I think it was some 70 odd percent of those who uh, opted to go for euthanasia and die, they reported being a burden to family and friends as a key influencing factor behind why they did it. Uh, and so you see this is, these are very real and natural feelings that the elderly have. And if there's, actual, if there's an actual elder abuse epidemic uh, in Australia, uh, then euthanasia is a very dangerous road and actually probably, possibly going to be responsible for uh, worse elder abuse uh, and genuine tragedies. And uh, I think that the, uh, the euthanasia um, campaign is so well developed and the people behind it are so astute uh, that they're not going to touch this with a barge pole Uh, because they know that it's such a great argument against them. So I wouldn't be surprised if that mitigates against coverage of this. But I hope, it is my hope and prayer, that as it continues with hearings starting this week, we see more and more and more, and it really opens our eyes to the dangers of euthanasia, but also the tragedy of what's going on in our aged care homes so that we can do something about it. I think it's a great thing that Scott Morrison has done here.
0: Okay, let's uh, tackle another couple of quick points. Uh, wanted to ask you about the my health records Uh, now we're all going to have a health record unless we've opted out Uh, you've had some concerns though martin uh, that there are those parents and guardians who now are automatically removed from being able to access children's health records once they turn 14 years of age what are your concerns
1: yeah, look, I think that's it, um, Neil. I mean, we saw this the other day and thought, oh, hang on, what's going on there? And sort of delves in. And that seems to be exactly correct. Um, and the health minister has confirmed it. A child, as soon as they hit 14, which is pretty young, uh, you know, they've just bumped into teenage years, their My Health record uh, becomes off limits to parents and guardians. Um, and so all of a sudden, parents don't have access to that information. But the state does. Uh, and the child does and the child can withhold um, information from the parent and the state is not obliged to tell the parents uh, what that record contains. Um, that's a young age and you've actually got, in this day and age, you've got issues like abortion, you've got issues like STDs, you've got issues like uh, gender dysphoria and all of these things whereby uh, parents are being locked out of the decision-making process uh, of their children, um, which is... Pretty horrific, and you see it more and more, especially in the gender area, where not only is the My Health Records thing happening, but you actually have guidelines give, being given out to schools to say, you know, if a child is from a, a home where they wouldn't necessarily be affirming of the child's gender, chosen gender identity, which means wouldn't celebrate it, um, uh, then then the school, you know, has discretion about whether or not they even tell the parents that the child is being counselled that way at school or even undergoing some form of social transition with a new name at school that's that's in most state education departments now and this is the latest plank in a one of the most worrying trends i see in policy at the moment which is to drive a wedge between children and parents uh and to actually make the state responsible for the health and well-being of children it's really sad um and the mind health records thing is wrong uh, i think 14 is far too young Uh, particularly given the kind of world we're living in at the moment, uh, and that ought to be changed.
0: Okay, and one more quick one. Of course, Franklin Graham is in Australia and he's had some uh, his first meeting on Saturday night in Perth as I understand it, a full stadium, something like 13,000 people turned out. Hundreds of people uh, were streaming forward to make a decision of their life to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, what have your thoughts been on the arrival of Franklin Graham in Australia and uh, has he caused any ripples? What are your thoughts, Martin?
1: Oh, look, I think it's fantastic. Um, I'm absolutely in favour of what's going on. Of course I am. I mean, we lobby at the top end of the politics and the policy and we try and change people's minds. i tell you what, God is the best mind and heart changer of all. So uh, I think if uh, you know there's, there's revival and conversion, uh, that does the job for us. <laughs> yeah. so it makes our job a lot easier. I still am a great believer that um, there's no ultimate hope in politics. Uh, But politics is important to a society and in God's eyes, but there's no ultimate hope in it. And we should always be concerned, first and foremost, about souls, about changed hearts, about changed lives, about eternal destinies. And that's what Franklin Graham is concerned about. And I'm not too bothered about the controversies around him because I say if he's here and he's preaching the gospel and he's teaching the truth, you know, God bless him. And uh, I hope to get along to one of his tour evenings. And I understand that Perth was an amazing opening night. For that tour so i think uh we should all join together in prayer for what is going on through the graham tour and trust that many are converted
0: and no doubt there'll be some press conferences and uh, there may be controversial issues raised sometimes people in a left-leaning media have concerns about Uh, things that he's supported, people that he supports, policies that he supports Uh, like being uh, pro marriage between a man and a woman, having a biblical uh, world view uh, doesn't always go down, creates all sorts of controversy. Uh, But in Perth I know that he's been meeting with various identities and uh, as I understand it he even met with Margaret Court
1: That's right, yes and he's got around and he uh, he put up on his Franklin Graham International Facebook to say this is Margaret Court who I met with and she's taken a strong stand for biblical truth and wonderful Australian, all this kind of thing. So one of the other great things about Franklin Graham is he's just not afraid uh, to tell the truth, to stand by the truth and be unashamed of the truth. And I do think we're moving into a time where that's uh, also more important than ever because the push that's coming back upon us is to say, no, no, scrap that bit of the truth, say that bit of the truth differently, put that bit of truth on the back burner. And, And it's just a push against the truth to put it into the corner. Uh, and one of the things we need to do is actually make that truth public again and stand firm in the public square. I admire uh, Franklin Graham for that. Of course it means that you disagree with him from time to time because he's outspoken and firm and he tells the truth. And sometimes you go, oh, hang on, no, I actually think of that one differently. Doesn't That should not stop our support for what's going on, you know, because uh, a, a small disagreement over a political matter is nothing when it comes to the cause of the
0: gospel itself. Well, the tour moves on to Darwin next. So for those listeners in the Northern Territory, Franklin Graham in Darwin on the 13th. That's this Wednesday night at the Darwin Convention Centre. And for other tour dates as they come up uh, later in the week in Melbourne and then uh, early next week in Brisbane and then on to Adelaide, Sydney, uh, you could go to the Graham Tour Dot org website and you'll be able to get those dates and venues as to what is happening with the Franklin Graham tour. Uh, Martin Isles, always enjoy your commentary. Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today. Let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. ACL stands for Australian Christian Lobby. acl.org.au. Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Thanks for being with us once again today on 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil. Have a great week.